morning, everyone. Welcome back to Leading Off. I'm your host, Dan Harris. You can find me on Twitter at DanHarris80. With me, as always, is my producer and noted oboe enthusiast, Brendan Tuma. You can find him on Twitter at TooMuchTuma. Plenty to get to today, my friends, including my three biggest takeaways, which are Keston Hira being recalled at the expense of Travis Shaw, Aaron Nola tossing out a gem against the Mets, and Brendan McKay finally getting the call to the majors. Then we're going to do a segment which I have aptly named Here's What Else Happened Yesterday, followed by a ride on the closer carousel and a quick check of the injury news before I tell you what to look out for today. But this is the last time I get to remind you about our June giveaway, because the next time we talk, it's going to be July. Remember, we are giving away $100 in credits on TickPick, the easiest way to buy tickets to any sporting event or concert or whatever you want. All you need to do to be entered into the contest is leave a review for the show on iTunes or Stitcher and send a screenshot of that review to contest at fantasypros.com. That is all. So long as you send it before Monday, you're good to go. Keston Hira has been mercifully recalled from AAA. Hira had an OPS over 1,000 since being sent down to the minors, and as you surely know, his performance never warranted a trip down there anyway. He was batting 281 with an 864 OPS in the majors. Now, it wasn't all roses and unicorns for Hira in the majors, even though fantasy owners like to remember it that way. He struck out in a third of his plate appearances, and he walked just 4.3% of the time. It is really, really hard to be successful consistently when you're doing that. But when Hira did hit the ball, he hit it really, really hard. Hira, understandably, was dropped in most leagues, and he's now just 16% owned. He's got an easy shot at being top 10 second baseman, and he is an immediate add in all leagues. As for Shaw, things just were not getting better for him. He batted just 174 after being recalled, and had a 571 OPS on the season. His strikeouts and swinging strikes ballooned this year, beginning with the spring and never recovering. Now Shaw had option years remaining, so sending him down to the minors doesn't do any damage to him long term. It's in the Brewers' best interest at this point to let him work out his issues down there. Now you don't own him anymore, and if you do, you can obviously drop him. But to the extent you were worried about another recall ruining Hira's season, I wouldn't, unless Hira struggles significantly. If Hira hits, he's going to play. And he should hit. Aaron Nola was really good yesterday, pitching seven shutout innings against the Mets while allowing just one hit and one walk while striking out ten. That hit, incidentally, was to the opposing pitcher, Zach Wheeler, who was also really good in that game. That is just a fun note, because baseball is weird. Anyway, Nola has now allowed just one earned run and struck out 20 over his last two starts, covering 15 innings pitched. More importantly, he's walked just two in that span. Now, he has had a few good stretches this year, but this one really seems different. I've watched both these last two starts very carefully, and there is just a different feel to his stuff and he said that he feels healthy for the first time in a while. So if you want to go ahead and buy in here, there is reason to. He's going to get a tough test in Atlanta next, where if he survives, it's all systems go going forward. Brendan McKay, the big lefty for the Rays, is being promoted, and is going to pitch on Saturday against the Rangers. You're probably familiar with McKay by now, but he is a two-way prospect who has been a pretty dominant pitcher this year in the minors. In AA, he had a 130 ERA and 62 strikeouts in 41 and two-thirds innings. And in AAA, he had a 108 ERA and 26 strikeouts in 25 innings. Now, he's actually been hitting much better in AAA with a 951 OPS, despite struggling mightily at AA. But you're probably only going to see him pitch in the majors. 
but that's going to be worth it. McKay is really intriguing because despite his prospect status, he doesn't actually have overwhelming stuff. But he does have a four-pitch mix of all solid offerings, and he does have an outstanding curveball. And he has plus command as evidenced by his outstanding walk rates throughout his minor league career. Now we say this every time with prospects. You add them now, and you figure it out later. I personally expect McKay to have success in the majors, and with Tyler Glasnow's injury, there is room in the rotation for the Rays. I personally would not start him in his debut against Texas on Saturday, but again, add him before then. He certainly has the potential to be a difference maker. Here's what else happened yesterday. Craig Kimbrough returned and got the save in his first game with the Cubs against the Braves. I wouldn't say it was the prettiest of saves, but as we know from Henry Rowengartner, a new flamethrowing reliever's first save with the Cubs is not always pretty. Kimbrough retired the first two Braves, but then gave up a ground rule double and a four-pitch walk before forgetting to cover first base on a grounder. But whatever, Kimbrough survived, and he's obviously the full-time closer for so long as he's healthy. And there are only a handful of guys that you can or should target if you need saves. He is one of them. Kevin Newman went 3-for-5 with a homer and 2-RBI yesterday against the Astros. He's got 7 hits in his last 11 at-bats, a 17-game hitting streak, and he is batting leadoff by the Pirates consistently. This is a great stretch, and I've got some questions about why I don't mention Newman ever. Well, the reason is that shortstop is deep, and Newman's StatCast data is almost comically bad. He's got a 1.3% barrel rate that is bottom 3% in the league. He's got an average exit velocity of 84.4 miles per hour that is bottom 5% in the league. He's got a hard hit rate of 25.5% that is bottom 6% of the league. So yeah, the guy has a 308 expected WOBA. It's really hard to get excited. But to at Princess Pink Princess, who told me that my failure to mention Newman to this point showed that I hated freedom, there you go. Also, what is my daughter being taught in school or camp that makes her turn everything into a princess and pink? It is very strange. Tyler Chatwood earned the win against the Braves yesterday, though he allowed six runs on six hits and four walks over five innings. And right now you're thinking, ugh, why is Dan telling me about irrelevant Tyler Chatwood? What's the dumb joke about chatting about Wood that he's going to tell? First, that's mean. And second, I'm just not going to tell you that joke anymore. But Chatwood's performance is relevant because apparently there's been plenty of talk about sending Albert Alzali back down to the minors. This is enraging for several reasons. First, I've been calling him Alzali, not Alzali. A listener informed me of the correct pronunciation, and I'm just going to trust him. Now, I listened to the Cubs broadcast of his first appearance, and I swore they said Alzali. But I trust our listeners blindly including the one who told me that I could jump out of a moving car going 60 miles per hour and not get injured so long as I was singing a song from The Sound of Music. So if you don't have a podcast from me on Monday, you know why. But second, I don't understand why there would be any talk of sending down Alzali. He's been pretty dynamic since being recalled. The Cubs need pitching help, and he still has plenty of innings to spare. So Chatwood's performance here is helpful, because so long as they stick with a six-man rotation, Alzali should be good to go even when Kyle Hendricks returns, which could apparently be before the All-Star break. Now, as you know, I have a lot invested in Alzali, and if you listen to my advice, you probably do too. So let's just hope that Chatwood continues to struggle, and maybe you Darvish needs a break for a phantom injury. Joey Gallo homered twice yesterday against the Tigers and walked once. Now, I've talked about this before mostly with prospects, but the worry for me when any player is having a breakout year 
and is sidelined for a significant amount of time, is that he is going to need a long time to regain his form. That is very clearly not the case with Gallo. Gallo missed three and a half weeks, and he is still on pace for 38 homers, 100 runs, and 88 RBI. Just stay healthy, big fella. Joe Musgrove nailed that revenge game narrative against his former team, throwing six shutout innings with five strikeouts against the Astros yesterday. He did allow nine hits, but all were singles. Musgrove really wasn't great in this one, just seven swinging strikes and 83 pitches, but he was effective in his second straight start and again avoided walks. There's nothing too exciting about the start other than it came against a good offense. And let's talk about Musgrove in the context of his opponent yesterday, Brad Peacock, who allowed six earned runs on seven hits and a walk over three innings against the Pirates, striking out two. Peacock has been pretty unreliable lately, allowing four runs to the Brewers, four runs to the Blue Jays, dazzling against the Yankees with just two runs allowed and 11 strikeouts, and then the stink fest yesterday. Now here's the thing about Peacock and about Musgrove along with him. This is what pitching is this year. It's why I'm not freaking out about Blake Snell or Jack Flaherty or even Aranola before this last start. There are like 15 pitchers, give or take, in whom you feel confident will give you a very good outing almost every appearance. Pretty much everyone else is a Peacock or a Musgrove or a close your eyes and hope this goes well type of pitcher. It is nearly impossible to pick the right matchup, so if you have one of these guys on your roster, just leave them out there. With perhaps the exception of Peacock's next start, which is going to be in Colorado. Musgrove, meanwhile, is going to take on the Cubs next. Josh Bell homeward for the second consecutive game yesterday. He now has 70 RBI and 54 extra base hits to lead the majors in both categories. We have talked a lot on the show about my philosophy in fantasy, and it is not for everyone. But I am reluctant to buy into players when their performance is so far off my preseason projections unless I am absolutely forced to, like with Cody Bellinger. And Bell was a guy who I had bought into because the StatCast data is gorgeous. But with him batting 222 in June with just two homers before yesterday, it was kind of all I needed to pull back on the reins. But he's really good. Not like the month of May good, but really good. There was some closer news worth talking about yesterday, including Sean Kelly allowing two hits but striking out the side to earn his 11th save for the Rangers in their win over the Tigers. The problem with the whole Jose Leclerc extension narrative is that the Rangers were not expected to be all that good this year, but they are legit tracking down the Astros right now and they need to keep winning. So long as Kelly stays strong, it now seems like Leclerc is more of a long shot to regain the role this season unless he goes on a very long sustained stretch of success. An extremely loyal listener, Robbie Martin, asked for the equivalent of a Burley for relief pitchers. I threw it to him for any name, and he suggested a Rodney after Fernando Rodney. And I just thought that was so perfect. And so that is our new relief pitcher version of the Burley, the Rodney. And you got a super Rodney from Edwin Diaz yesterday against the Phillies, as he allowed five runs on three hits and two walks. He now has a 494 ERA on the season. Diaz has allowed at least one run in three of his past five appearances. If you were an alien who came to Earth and saw Edwin Diaz pitch right now for the first time, you would think, wow, that person throws a ball very, very hard and has no idea where it's going. You're not getting the 2018 version of Diaz anytime soon. But here's the good news if you are a Diaz owner. The Mets bullpen is pretty much the worst in baseball, so Diaz is not going to get replaced. And the Mets cannot trade him because they'd surely get less than the massive haul they gave up to acquire him just a few months ago. 
So if you own Diaz, you should have a closer for the rest of the season. Kind of a crappy closer, perhaps, but a closer nonetheless. Now, Diaz only had the chance to blow the save because Hector Neris blew the save first, allowing three runs on four hits over a third of an inning. Neris should largely get a pass here, given that it was his third day working in a row. I mean, not a full pass, a baby pass. You got to be able to work three days in a row sometimes if you're going to be a closer. But he's the guaranteed closer for the Phillies at this point, so have no concerns about this one blowup. Let's close shop with some injury news. Brian Cashman told reporters that he does not expect Giancarlo Stanton to return from the injured list in July. Even though we talked yesterday about how we had to plan for a few weeks' absence, it was still a little jarring to hear this news. And again, fine print here. That does not mean Cashman expects Stanton back on August 1st. He called August, quote, the sweet spot for Stanton's return. So like mid-August, late August, just hoping for August what? We've already seen Stanton have a setback from his initial injury, and he has battled health issues for his entire career. So you hope things go well, and you hope you get a nice six weeks from Stanton. But you, as a Stanton owner, plan as if you'll get nothing from him rest of season. But at least for now, you should get something from Brett Gardner, who should see everyday playing time. And you could see something from Clint Frazier, though with Edwin Encarnacion on board and Aaron Judge present, there's still not all that much room just yet in the Yankees' outfield. Still, Frazier would be intriguing if he gets recalled, so in deeper leagues, keep your eye on him. Jordan Alvarez left yesterday's game against the Pirates with knee discomfort, and Kevin Kiermaier left yesterday's game against the Twins with right calf discomfort. Alvarez had fouled a ball off his knee on Tuesday, and it looked like it just caught up to him a bit yesterday playing the field. Now, AJ Hinch called this move precautionary, but he also said he'd give Alvarez a day or two off here, so expect to be without him for most of the weekend. As for Kiermaier, he said he felt something in his calf prior to Thursday's game and then exited in the first inning after making a diving catch. He should be fine going forward, but you know his injury history is not the best. Spencer Turnbull was removed after two innings yesterday against the Ragers with shoulder fatigue. An MRI was negative, so hopefully he can make his next start against the White Sox. Sergio Romo left yesterday's game against the Nationals with a knee bruise he sustained while trying to cover first base on a grounder. Romo stayed in initially, but doubled over in pain after his final pitch. He apparently does not believe this is serious, despite how it looked. If Romo needs to miss time, it is really unclear who's going to take over as closer in the ninth inning for the Marlins. Maybe Nick Anderson. Maybe Tyron Guerrero. Maybe it will be first name you don't want, and last name whoever it is. Yeah, actually, I'm positive that's who's going to take over. Eddie Rosario missed yesterday's game against the Rays with a sprained ankle but he is expected to avoid the injured list. Frankly, I think it would be better to let him rest the 10 days, get him fully healthy, don't make him push it. But either way, he's probably going to rest a couple of more days. Andrelton Simmons and Yandy Diaz were activated from the injured list as expected yesterday, but Williams Astudillo was placed on the injured list with oblique tightness. Astudillo largely played a super utility role, and he was only 7% owned, so his absence should only have a negligible impact. Lorenzo Cain returned from his thumb injury and batted 6th against the Mariners, going 0 for 4. And the White Sox DFA'd Yonder Alonso. That is not injury news, but Yonder Alonso does not get his own section. Now I know he was batting just 178, but the team DFA'd him 2 hours after they sent out a release touting his charity bowling event benefiting the Boys and Girls Club. White Sox are cold-blooded, man. For serious. Brendan and I usually discuss what we'll be watching for today. 
and his first response was, quote, what will the Mets do to embarrass their fans today? He's a funny guy. Also, that is like saying, I'm going to watch the sun come up or the wind blow. It's going to happen every day. I'm not going to miss anything if I don't catch it today. So instead, I'm going to be watching Mike Clevender's return against the Orioles. In his last start, he sustained an ankle injury that nobody really knew about for a couple of days. So here, I'm not only looking for him to show that he's effective, but also to figure out how he might stealth injure himself without us knowing again. I am open to suggestions. And that is all for today's episode of Leaning Off. You know where to reach us if you need us by now. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll talk to you Monday.